When they had preached the gospel to that city, they had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I shared one uh, New Year's resolution with you last week, uh, so you can hold me accountable to that, which is to read the Pilgrim's Progress before 2024, right? Anybody want to do it with me? Let me know. Uh, This week's New Year's resolution that I'm sharing with you isn't really a New Year's resolution. I'm doing it for a different reason, but here's what I did. I joined one of the millions of people who also decided to join a local gym in the month of January, right? I think some of you guys even said that last night at small group. Um, Not so much a new year goal, though. For me, it's because there's a baby on the way, and I really want to be healthy uh, because I don't know if you guys know this. Having a baby is exhausting and difficult, and it helps if you're in decent health. So I I would love to lose a few pounds uh, before she comes and just be a better dad for my family. If you haven't already noticed, I'm a little bit of a yo-yoer when it comes to diet and exercise. Haven't quite struck gold on how to balance that and keep the weight off and just maintain. That's very difficult for me. I tend to get too relaxed and uh, and fall back. Uh, Maybe this year I'll find the balance. Uh, But at the end of the day, we all know that there's no secret pill. You know, there's no magic formula um, to losing weight and getting healthy. It is the hard work of diet and exercise. But the most success that I've found in this area of my life is when I've had somebody to hold me accountable. Before having children, Mariana and I were members at a local gym, and we tried to work out together regularly. And that was the most consistent I was because the person I loved was right there beside me, cheering me on helping me, staying on me when I didn't want to work out along the way. And it was also fun because I've got her with me, the person that I love and I enjoy doing things with. And we both made our health a priority and we both found great success. But when I've tried to work out by myself, on my own time, on my own schedule, I struggle to make it stick. Something else will find its way uh, into my routine besides working out. Like working out, the church only becomes strong and healthy when we are holding each other accountable and pursuing Christ together. You know that many have tried to do Christianity alone, and it just doesn't work. Many have also tried to go into a local church with a very individualistic mindset, thinking, here's how these people can serve me, and I need to have my needs met here in this local place that also does not usually end well. God has designed us to be in a community together, continually strengthening one another as we build up the kingdom of God 
and make disciples. We need the church, and the church needs you. And I think you guys know this because I kind of talk about it a lot. Like every Sunday, you hear something in that category of be more faithful to the church. The church is a gift. Love it. Serve it. It's awesome. Don't take it for granted. You, you get tired of hearing that. You know that. If you don't know that, you hadn't been coming here, right? Welcome. That's what I preach about a lot. You're going to get a lot of that. Um, but here's what I think maybe we don't focus on as much, which is what the text today helps us with. How do we serve the church? We know the church is important. We know we're supposed to love the church, give our lives to it. What, what, is, what does that look like? How do we serve and strengthen the body of Christ? What are we supposed to be doing here? Are we supposed to sign up for something? Do we just sort of wait for the pastor to give us some kind of job to do? Do I have to take a spiritual gifts quiz in order to find out what my spiritual gift is and how to use it here? What am I supposed to do? And I think the text today that we have teaches us that it's really not that complicated. We want it to be far more complicated than it is, maybe so we won't have to be responsible for anything, kind of like working out. But the Lord designed His church wonderfully simplistic. I believe when we employ these simple workouts that make us healthy, we will also make Him look glorious and make His people look beautiful. And we get to do it together. Chapter 14 of the book of Acts, which we've been preaching through together, if you haven't been with us, we go through books of the Bible here. It took us to Iconium and then to Lystra and to Derbe. The Lord healed a lame man through Paul, uh, and the locals assumed that Paul and Barnabas were some kind of pagan gods like Zeus and Hermes. This must be their reincarnation of these false gods. Uh, and they got so tied up in this that the locals were about to make a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas at Lystra. And just when all this was happening, the pot stirrers back from Iconium and Antioch showed up and started picking up stones. So one group of people were ready to sacrifice to and worship Paul and Barnabas, followed by another group who were ready to kill them. What a roller coaster ride, right? And then verse 20 says, After Paul was stoned, and uh, almost killed, they dragged him outside of the city, thinking that he was dead. Verse 20 says, the disciples gathered about him, and he rose up and entered the city. The disciples gathered about him. The disciples gathered about him. And I think that's really where our sermon begins for today. Out of this awful situation of persecution, difficulty, hardship, uh, tragedy, what many people would even deem a missionary failure, which is not missionary failure. The disciples come to Paul, literally lift him up off of the ground. I don't think they healed him or he was you know, dead and they resurrected him or anything like that, but they ministered to him. They came around the suffering servant and they loved him and cared for his needs. And then he goes to all the towns that he had just been to, and he ministers to other suffering disciples. I encourage you, you encourage me, the church flourishes. It really is that simple. I think there are three ways that we see the Lord strengthening this church in this, uh, in this text. Uh, and those things are encouragement, elders, and exhortation. 
encouragement, elders, or I'm sorry, exaltation, not exhortation, exaltation. The first one is encouragement, <clears throat> encouragement, starting back in verse 22, verse 21. Uh, when they had preached the gospel of that city, they'd made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Why? Verse 22, to strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. We started this last week, and now we're going to kind of finish uh, this idea of serving the church this week. Uh, they returned after going into all these new towns, preaching the gospel, almost getting killed. They go right back where they came from. They trace the breadcrumbs back through these other towns where they almost died. They returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. Why on earth would they go backwards? Isn't the Great Commission supposed to be going forward? Why would they go back? Well, there better be a good reason for them to risk their lives going into these towns where they were wanted dead. They had their, like the old westerns, they had a sign, of a picture of them hanging up at the, all the local saloons saying, wanted, dead or alive, right? Paul and Barnabas. They go back to these regions instead of going to new regions to preach the gospel. Why? To strengthen the souls of the disciples. To strengthen the souls of the disciples. This is an important phrase. It's used two more times in chapter 15, and then again in chapter 18. The word strengthen means to support, to prop up, to make firm. And it doesn't imply that there's some weakness that needs to be met. It actually recognizes that there's strength already there, and it wants to make it more strong. It wants to bring stability to the foundation that is already there. Uh, it's kind of like seeing the potential in someone. You can think of it that way, and then bringing out that potential. Uh, this is what they went back to do. And did they want to strengthen minds? Did they want to strengthen bodies? What does it say? Strengthen the soul of the disciples. The Bible recognizes the soul as the very thing that makes a person a person. It's where we get our word for psych or psychology. It's the word soul in the Greek. It is distinctly the identity of a single unique person from which flows all affection and purposes of the will. So what does it look like to strengthen that? They encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So let's I really don't want I want I don't want you to miss the context. So let's let's keep painting the picture. Paul and Barnabas went to Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. People believed on Jesus there, both Jews and Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas left. These new Jew and Gentile Christians were extremely vulnerable. Paul and Barnabas return. They are strengthened and encouraged by their presence and their teaching. Many churches today struggle to find their purpose for why they exist. All faithful churches know that we're supposed to fulfill the Great Commission, right? But what does it really mean to fulfill the Great Commission? Jesus said in Matthew 28, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now let me let you in on a secret. The Great Commission is not just making converts. The Great Commission is teaching them how to follow Jesus. Paul returning to Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and all these places was fulfilling the Great Commission. 
he did not want to make new believers. He wanted to make disciples. And he wanted to plant local churches that outlived him and outlived his entire generation. Paul wanted to fulfill the Great Commission, so he went back where he came from to encourage the people who were already saved. And this was obedient to Matthew 28. Let me uh, read Ephesians 4, 11 for you, if you're not familiar with this text, which is a great picture of why the church exists. Ephesians 4, 11, He gave them apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We exist to help you grow into maturity in Christ. We exist to strengthen you. And you exist to strengthen others. This is how we build up the church and serve the church. We long to make a people who are strong, stable, equipped, united, and mature, and who then go internally and continue building up the body of Christ. Discipleship is vitally important because it is the thing that makes the body grow. Not evangelistic crusades. Do you want to serve this church? Disciple someone or be discipled or do both. This serves the kingdom of God. This is how you can strengthen souls right here among us. And again, we complicate this way more than we need to. What were they doing? What was their big 12-week discipling curriculum? Encourage them to continue in the faith and warn them that many tribulations will come as they enter the kingdom of God. I can't disciple somebody. I can't teach you know, I don't, I don't know the Bible well enough. I can't preach and do all this stuff. Can you encourage somebody? Who needs to be encouraged? I heard one pastor talk about it this way. You know the game Marco Polo, right? Kids play in the water and you slosh around with your eyes closed. When we come together on Sunday mornings, anytime we gather, there are dozens of people crying out, Marco, 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 Marco. And far too often they just get silent. Somebody said polo, right? This is what biblical encouragement, discipleship, strengthening in the body looks like. Responding to those who are hurting just as they did when they saw Paul bruised up and bloody on the ground. They met that need. They went to him and they encouraged him. They got him up. They said, let's keep going, brother. Right? Through many tribulations. And then he went and went and did that to other people. And then they went and did that. It's this reproducing of encouragement. The word encourage is parakaleo, which some of you Greek nerds will recognize that. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The paraclete, right? When we encourage others, we are literally being employed by the Holy Spirit to strengthen the souls of the church. 
because you sent that text message? Because you prayed with them after service? Because you remembered the big appointment that they had last week? Because you invited them over for dinner? You are building up the kingdom of God and engaging in eternal work. You know, we sent out a, this is in my notes, uh uh-oh, you know, we sent out a survey this week for small group uh, evaluation stuff. And one of the comments on there was, you know, the small group leaders are so good at checking in on us. I want all of us to check in on each other like that. And it not just to be this, you know, one direction thing, but all of the small group members participating and caring for each other. That's that's a good word, right? Because this is what we're all called to do. We can all encourage one another and strengthen one another. And of course, the opposite of this is equally important because what happens if we don't encourage one another? We don't grow. We get torn down. Um, We discourage. When we give opinionated advice rather than earnest prayer and concern, when we settle into little cliques and subgroups within the church, when we criticize over petty or minor preferences, when we forsake the gathering for silly reasons, all of this is greatly discouraging to the church. To cause others to be discouraged is to disobey the Great Commission of Matthew 28. Our sin in the body is also bearing eternal fruit, just like our labor of encouragement will bear eternal fruit. Which one are we participating in? We read 1 Thessalonians 5, which shows us, I think, the source of where all this encouragement comes from and uh, the relationship of of one another, uh, encouraging one another constantly in the body. Uh, Here's where I think the source of encouragement comes from, 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. God has not destined us for wrath. Is that good or what? Encourage one another with these words. God has destined us for what? Salvation. You will be saved. Your salvation is written in stone. No matter what tribulation you are going through, the kingdom of God is still at the end of this trail and we're going to make it. Encourage one another with these words. The gospel is the source of our encouragement. Jesus and his blood still stands ready to intercede for whatever thing you did this week. His wrath no longer remains for you to face. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. Say that stuff to each other, and we will be encouraged. We will obtain salvation. And we will have many tribulations. Encouraged or not, many tribulations are coming while we march toward to Zion. So would we rather go through those tribulations alone? or with our God-given community of faith to help us bear these things together. Perseverance in trial is never won in isolation. It's a community job to persevere, right? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. 
when we all see Jesus, we'll celebrate, shout the victory. We will be encouraged along the way because the same people who walked with us are going to be there too at the end. That's the way this thing works, right? Encourage someone. It's one of the easiest things we can do that will make the biggest impact on the kingdom of God. Secondly, Paul and Barnabas went back to establish accountability there in those new churches, not just to encourage them and build them up, but also to ensure that a perpetual culture of encouragement through the appointment of qualified spiritual men called elders. Elders, number two. Elders is how they strengthened the church. Verse 23 says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church. There's so much in that one little phrase there. While they were strengthening the souls and encouraging the people to continue, they were also looking for men with potential to teach others also. You can see Paul uh, be very explicit about this in the later, uh, what we call the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. He says in 2 Timothy 2.1, You then, my child, talking to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy was likely there receiving the encouragement in Lystra, and Paul saw the potential. I don't know if he was appointed an elder that early, uh, but that was certainly likely when they met. Paul strengthened Timothy. Timothy strengthened others. And while everyone in the church is reproducing encouragement from person to person, only a few people are set apart for the specific church office of elder. Paul discipled Timothy and then appointed him as an elder. Timothy then appointed elders in the church at Ephesus. Same thing happened with Titus. He became an elder. He then appointed more elders at the church in Crete. And on and on and on it goes. And this, what I think, is also what uh, biblical ordination is supposed to look like. Elders reproducing other elders, setting them apart, affirming them, strengthening them, preparing them for ministry. And these men are given to make sure that the souls of the church are continually strengthened in the local church. A few things to note here. We've taught about elders in the past, but maybe you're new here, and this sounds all a little strange to you and a little Presbyterian and a little uh, not Baptist. Well, what is this? Um, first of all, biblically, there were plural elders in each church. Plural elders in each church. This is the most explicit verse in the Bible that I think commands or commends the plurality of elders. Elders, almost every single time the word is used, is plural. Church is singular. It wasn't done by one dude running each church, but multiple godly encouragers. In fact, almost every single time the word elder is used in the Bible, it is plural, except for the times when it's referring to one specific elder. Um, Southern Baptist Convention started out this way. The first president was all for plurality of elders. I don't know what happened the last couple hundred years, but it's a good thing. It's biblical. We do it here. Number two, the word elder is synonymous with overseer or pastor. So we're not talking about a different office from the pastor or a different office from shepherd or overseer. Presbyteros is where we you know, think of Presbyterians and where they stole this. They didn't steal it. We just uh, um, stopped doing it. But it literally means old man, 
old man. Occasionally it is used that way, uh, but it's a word stolen from Jewish offices. Uh, so elders have been around a long time, before the beginning of the church. The, all the members of the Sanhedrin in the Jewish church were called elders, right? This isn't a new idea. This is a reproduced, modified, edited office from Old Testament life, referring to mature, wise men who help oversee the people of God. They've been around since the days of Moses, and while their role changes in the New Covenant, the principle is essentially the same. The biggest difference now is that they also take up the role of shepherding. They're not just men who make decisions for people. They're pastors. First uh, Peter 5 says, Shepherd, you elders, shepherd the flock of God among you. They are men who don't just make decisions, but who care for the church, who guide, who lead, who shepherd. These are all referring to the same office in the New Testament. Third uh, thing to note here, Paul and Barnabas appointed them. Paul and Barnabas appointed them. They identified the spiritual encouragers. They trained them. They said, okay, now you start doing this here. This is why our church guidelines specifically state that nominations for elders only come from existing elders. It seems to be the biblical model to reproduce elders with elders. The job of the elders are to make more elders, right? We thoroughly believe in congregationalism. 1 Timothy 5 tells you how to hire and fire anybody you want. And you need to do it the right way, right? But elders who are not set aside and affirmed by other elders are maybe one of two things, or both. Ignorant of the scripture's teaching of this office and don't want to go through it the biblical way. Or two, lack the humility to submit to the counsel of others. The way it's designed in scripture takes care of both. So there's no dude trying to come in and say, I'm a pastor now. We see that far too often. The greatest blessing that some elders can do for the kingdom of God is to tell unqualified people, no. This is God's design for installing leaders in his church. Lots of good stuff there, right? What, what, what now? What's the, the context of this passage and the teaching of elders is what really hit me and struck me in a way that I haven't seen it before. We should feel the weight of responsibility here. They didn't do this flippantly or willy-nilly. They fasted and prayed and committed them to the Lord, is what this verse says. They were praying and fasting for the whole church, committing the whole church to the Lord. But they were recognizing that we can get this wrong. At the end of the day, we're vetting these dudes, appointing them to the office, and we're leaving and entrusting this to God. It's God's church. It's God's leaders. He will take care of it, right? So they forfeited body for their, they forfeited food from their bodies to exercise spiritual hunger and reliance upon the only one who could truly build the church. This is the Lord's church. These elders are his elders. These new disciples are his saints. He will protect them. They didn't want to play God by selecting these elders without him. They wanted to submit to God through the scriptures as they appointed them. And so here in our church, when we see a man with potential, we should strain, uh, train him, pray and fast on his behalf, appoint him and recognize it as a gift from God for the church. And the context in which all of this happened, this sober moment of appointment, 
was that elders were appointed to strengthen and encourage the church. It's important that Jay and I know our theology. It's important that we preach good sermons. It's important that we know how to counsel and give good, wise advice, help biblical counsel. We want to equip members for the work of ministry. But I think if you pour all of that into a saucepan and you bring it to a boil and you let it simmer down and you create this rich sauce and you pour it all over the church, what that is is encouragement. Encouragement. If I could do one thing better for you, more than knowing how to preach well, being more organized or more evangelistic, I want to be a better encourager. Because I know y'all got a hard lot some days. And I know it's important for me to teach about elders. You need to know what they are. But the best way I can teach, perhaps, is to be one for you. Strengthen you and encourage you. It is literally the work of the Holy Spirit to edify the body. And I want to do it better. I think Jay wants to do it better. So let's work on that, huh? We'll work on that. But you know, the Bible says you guys aren't off the hook either. One of the best things you can do is to encourage your elders. Encourage your elders. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Support them. Encourage them. Ask how you can help. Uh, and I tell you, I, let me encourage you right now by saying I've been encouraged by every single text message that says you're praying for me, asking how you can help, thanking me after preaching. All of that stuff matters, man. Thank you. Thank God for you. Sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, bless you. Bless you. Thank you for loving me and for loving us. And I am encouraged by your encouragement. You should be encouraged that I'm encouraged by your encouragement and leave your encouraged so you can encourage others and continue encouraging me. Thank you. After appointing elders, this missionary team continued retracing their steps all the way till they got back to the original Antioch, the first Antioch where Barnabas started it all. The Church of Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch. Antioch uh, sent Barnabas out to the northern regions with Paul. Paul went down to, or uh, uh, Barnabas went down to, to um, oh, where was he from? Tarsus, and got Paul, and they went off on this missionary journey together, John, Mark, and some others. And now they're back in Antioch, ready to give a report that all that God has done. And this is the last point, I'll be quick. Exaltation. Exaltation, uh, starting in verse 24. They passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended by the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Back to Pisidia, back to Pamphylia, back to Perga. Quick trip in Italia. They got on a boat, went back to Antioch. After all the traveling, all the hardship, all the stuff they went through, it's like the end of a good movie, right? They make it home. And it's like there's this warm reception from the church in Antioch. 
of a just a, a, a resounding well done. We love you. You made it back. Awesome. You know? Now, Paul and Barnabas obviously did not go on this missionary journey for praise or applause from men. But it probably felt pretty good to just have a, a commending to the grace of God for their work. It felt good, right? And they were tired, exhausted from all that they had been through. That well done was appreciated. All of us in Christ are working toward the goal, the ultimate well done, good and faithful servant, the prize of Christ at the final day. But each Sunday, I think, and every time we gather, maybe have a little bit of that. Well done. Keep going. Well done. Keep going. Well done. Keep going. We come together. We see each other laboring for the gospel. We are mutually encouraged and we keep pressing forward. We commend one another the grace of God. We praise God for the good works of our fellow church members. And the greatest encouragement we gain in these week-to-week moments is knowing that it is God who is the one doing all the stuff. In all of our lives, the Lord is still working. Verse 27, when they arrived, they gathered the church together and said, you guys got to hear what happened. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. It was encouraging to see how far they got and all the places they went and what happened. But it was even more encouraging to see what God had done. So they physically gathered the people together because that's what a church is, right? One assembly. They gathered the people. The assembly of covenanted believers listened as they told story after story of all the people they met in Antioch and then in Iconium and then in Lystra and Derbe and their travels and how Paul almost died, but they helped him. They resuscitated him. They brought him back. (coughs) They even learned about this young man named Timothy. The biggest news they received in all these stories was that God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. There are Gentiles who were worshiping in the temple of Zeus last week that have repented and believed on Jesus and are now born again. They're Greeks. God gave them faith. They're worshiping Christ now. Way up north. there's, There's disciples there now. And they're legit. They're willing to die for Christ. They're sacrificing everything. We almost got killed there. And they're still living there. They believe in Jesus. God gave faith to Greeks. And they remained no little time together talking about all the marvelous works of God. And with each new story and each new convert, the church exalted Christ together. Exaltation. Does it ever occur to you that God may do something powerful and glorious in your life just so you can share it with other believers and encourage them. Our praise and worship is not too far off from Israel's praise and worship. What was their worship based on? Lord, you've done some awesome stuff, right? Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder Consider all the worlds the hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. How great you are. This is the Psalms. This is the worship of the Old Testament people. This is the worship of the New Testament people. 
exaltation regularly empowered by remembering the wondrous deeds of the Lord. And we've seen even greater deeds, haven't we? God has opened a door of faith to Gentiles. We are Gentiles. God opened the door to us. We have seen marvelous things. We have the Holy Spirit. We have access to the holy place through the shed blood of Christ. We are new creations being sanctified by God, sealed until the day of glorification. We have much to praise Him for. And He is working every single day in a million ways to display His glory in such a way that makes us sing louder on Sundays. What has the Lord done for you recently? Tell the saints. Tell them. Tell the people of God what God has done. Give a reason for all the temple to cry glory, as Psalm 29 said. He is great and greatly to be praised. Tell us why. If you have something to share, share it as soon as possible. Call someone and tell them what God has done. Text someone and tell them what God has done. Jay does that for me regularly. It's great. I love it. Tell your small group next time you get together what God has done. Come talk to an elder. Maybe you need to tell the whole church what God has done. If it will cause us to praise and exalt Jesus as Lord with a louder voice, please share it. You might not believe this, but if you're in Christ, you really do have stories to share. We're not going to the unreached people necessarily, far, far lands and, you know, doing these, these kinds of evangelistic work like they were doing. But we have stories. The Lord is just as involved here as he is any other words, a square inch of the earth, right? And if you don't know where to start, you don't see the Lord regularly working in your life, you're struggling, start with the first story he ever gave you. The same door that was opened for the Lystrians was also opened for you. What door is that? That door is the door of Jesus Christ. He is the door of faith, the door to the sheepfold that all sinners must go through in order to be saved and be given eternal life and go in and find pasture. He opens that door for every, uh, he opens that door every day for thousands upon thousands of people who are being saved and born again, and you were one of them. Tell us how it happened. Tell us how it happened. Maybe you're here today and you haven't gone through that door. The door that I'm talking about is found in John chapter 10. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen uh, to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If you are not a Christian, you are dead in your sins and living outside of God's sheepfold. You are at enmity with God. You will die eternally separated from the one you were created to know and enjoy. But God has provided a door for sinners to walk through. And anyone who enters through this door will be saved and will go in and find pasture. Go in and out. You can go out to places and come back to Antioch and be encouraged by this local family that you have. You can be part of the sheep. God opens this door to all kinds of people. doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, whether you're a Lystrian or a Greek or slave or free. I don't care. God opens the door to people like you. 
How is this so simple? How can our wrong just suddenly be made right by this opening of a door? Well, John 10 tells us the shepherd came to lay down his life for the sheep, right? The door of faith has been provided to you at great cost. The Son of God was given as a sacrifice for your sin to appease God's wrath and give you a right standing before a holy God. He then rose from the dead, defeating sin and hell and death once and for all, and now entrance into His kingdom is as simple as walking through a door. So friend, I invite you today, if you are not a Christian, hear me. Walk through the door. Come to Christ, the only door of faith that anyone can be saved. No longer be a slave to sin and a child of the world, lost and wandering like a sheep without a shepherd. Come home to the good shepherd. Walk through the door. Be saved. And for the rest of us, if you want to help strengthen and serve this church, it's really not that complicated. Encourage people. Support the elders. Tell stories that exalt Jesus. This is the regular work that strengthens and builds up the people of God. And I'll add one more freebie. You can't do any of that without being together. Spend time together. Spend time together. On average, Americans spend eight hours and 33 minutes a day sleeping. We spend eight and a half hours working at our jobs. It's all averages. We spend 18 minutes a day cleaning, 11 minutes doing laundry, 34 minutes preparing meals. We spend 51 minutes prepping ourselves just to go out in public. We spend an hour and 11 minutes eating meals and snacks. We spend 46 minutes shopping. We spend 10 minutes or less reading books. We spend, uh, this is <laughs> telling in another way, 10 minutes or less reading books, two hours and 48 minutes watching TV. Ooh, that one hurts. And then way down at the bottom of the list, Americans spend less than 18 minutes on any kind of religious activity. There are all kinds of ways to spend your time. And you're thinking, how have I got time to do this hard work of encouraging people, right? I'm no mathematician. But if you just start spending time together, it will become a priority. You can't do it if you don't sacrifice any time to be with one another. And it doesn't take a lot of time to send a text message or to make a phone call. And those are things worth sacrificing for. Maybe take a little longer getting ready, 51 minutes, watch a little less TV, so you can spend time with God's people strengthening the church. What if the church became a no little time activity for us as they spent no little time together? Do you want to serve the church? Spend time with the church. Every day, I have two booked appointments, seven days a week, 8.30 a.m. and 7.30 p.m. Or I'll start anything before 8.30. I'm not doing it. Put it that way. Anything after 7, I really try not to do. Because those are the two times a day that I want my daughter to see me in her life. Eating breakfast and going to bed. Why do I do that? And Saturdays. 
family day. Because I want her to see by spending time with her that I love her. Spend time together. How do you show your love for this church? Prioritize it. Make time for each other. Be in it. Sacrifice other things to spend time with the people. You will be encouraged. We will be encouraged. Our church will be strengthened. Jesus will be exalted. This is how we serve the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for teaching us so simply of what it looks like to fulfill the Great Commission, uh, to make disciples and then teach them to obey and to encourage them until we make it home. I pray, Father, that this would be regularly uh, characteristic of the people here in this room, that we'd give our lives to serve one another, encourage one another, and we'd be built up for your kingdom and for your glory. I pray for anybody here today who is in great tribulation, uh, anticipating the kingdom of God, but has great burdens. I pray that we'd come around them and serve them. And I pray for anybody here today who may not know Jesus as Lord, that they would enter through the door while it is still called today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.